the U.S. warning Americans to reconsider travel to China, a look at the latest risks. Putin set to join a virtual meeting with China Xi Jinping, his first appearance on the world stage after a coup at home. Over $120,000 bounties offered for eight overseas Hong Kong activists each. The closure of a pro-democracy radio station and more, marking the 26th anniversary of the city's handover from British to Chinese rule. Plus, nuclear wastewater from China dumped into the ocean. Reports say it's six times more contaminated than that treated from Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant. How does it play into the latest Tokyo-Beijing spat? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A warning to all Americans from the U.S. State Department. If you're thinking about traveling to China, Hong Kong, or Macau, you may want to reconsider. The State Department updated its travel advisory on Saturday, the same day a new law went into effect in China. The sweeping regulation is unnerving a lot of Westerners living there, from business owners to journalists and academics. Here's why. The new Chinese law expands the definition of espionage without clearly defining it. Under the rule, if a person transfers documents, data or materials related to China's national security, the action could be considered espionage. As for anyone suspected of espionage, Chinese authorities can ban suspects from leaving China. They can also search the suspect's bags, electronic devices and property. Because of the rule's vague explanation, concerns are rising that normal business activities could become criminal acts, like company owners gathering market data or journalists reporting the news. The new law came after a series of clampdowns from Beijing. China recently raided the China-based offices of two American firms, Capvision and Mintz. Another U.S. consulting giant, Bain & Company, said Chinese police questioned staff at its Shanghai office. Beijing has also detained dozens of foreigners on espionage charges. Examples include Michael Spaver, a Canadian consultant, Michael Kovrig, a former Canadian diplomat, and Australian TV news anchor Chen Lei. Just this May, China sentenced a 78-year-old American citizen to life in prison. The charge is related to spying, but Chinese authorities did not give details. Back in the U.S., President Biden is looking to bring American businesses back home. Speaking to Fox News, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen described the situation as an opportunity for the White House to streamline permits and make it easier for major U.S. companies to return. Russian President Putin is slated to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping virtually on Tuesday, along with India's Prime Minister. It's said to be Putin's first appearance on the world stage after his country's domestic mutiny. Two weeks ago, a private mercenary group called Wagner seized key military facilities in Russia. But a secretive deal stopped the incident, with Wagner pulling back and the group's leader sent to Belarus. Now uncertainties hang in the air. As for what this means for Putin's regime and the war in Ukraine, on Monday, China's defense minister met with his Russian counterpart, vowing to take military ties to a new level. The virtual summit on Tuesday will fall under the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It's a regional security bloc led by China and Russia to counter the West. India is also a member of the bloc. Its Prime Minister Narendra Modi just visited Washington two weeks ago. The U.S. signed a number of major deals and shared sensitive technology with India, hoping to shore up the country as a partner to counter China. 
a flag-raising ceremony held in Hong Kong over the weekend. This year's occasion marks the 26th anniversary of the territory's handover from British to Chinese rule. Joined by representatives and military officials from Beijing on stage, Hong Kong leader John Lee warned Hong Kong citizens against forces aiming to target China, describing some of them as lurking in Hong Kong. We must be vigilant and fully and accurately implement the one country, two systems policy. He also vowed to further integrate Hong Kong into China's overall development. We will actively attract strategic enterprises and leverage Hong Kong's unique advantage of being backed by our motherland while connecting with the world. Britain returned Hong Kong to Chinese rule on July 1, 1997, but under one condition, a one country, two systems formula. The policy guarantees wide-ranging autonomy and judicial independence not seen in mainland China. Critics say that promise has since been eviscerated. Beijing's security law on Hong Kong in 2020 punishes acts of so-called subversion with possible life imprisonment, on top of arresting scores of pro-democracy campaigners. Over in Taiwan, lawmakers marked the anniversary by denouncing Beijing for openly renegating the agreement with Britain and turning, quote, the pearl of the Orient into a place of nightmares. Following the anniversary of Hong Kong's takeover, the city's police department on Monday accused eight overseas-based activists of serious offenses. That's including foreign collusion and inciting secession. On top of that, a nearly two-decade-old pro-democracy radio station in the city closed in the face of dangerous pressure. Let's zoom in. Nathan Law is one of eight newly accused activists in Hong Kong. Wanted notices have been issued, with rewards of over $120,000 each. The activists are based in countries like the U.S., Britain, and Australia. They're charged under a national security law Beijing imposed on the former British colony in 2020. Under it, 260 people in Hong Kong were arrested, with 79 of them convicted. And yet another blow to Hong Kong's press freedom. Citizens Radio Station aired its final show on Friday. Squeezed into a small studio, the pro-democracy station's hosts bid farewell to their followers. We had no choice but to suspend broadcasting after tonight's show. The founder says the closure owes to a dangerous political situation and the freezing of its bank account. Hong Kong politics faces a cliff-like change. Even if we invite guests to the program, they cannot speak freely because the red line is everywhere. Thank you all for your support over the past 18 years. If fate permits, we will meet again. Beijing's national security law has already led to the closure of similar outlets in the city, including the Daily Apple newspaper and Stand News. Jimmy Pong, a host at Citizens Radio, struck a defiant tone during what he called an important night in Hong Kong's broadcasting history. Mic off doesn't mean we can no longer speak out. Hong Kong authorities have repeatedly said that media freedoms are respected and enshrined in city laws. I am 67 years old. I don't know if I can witness it. I hope that young people will continue to stick to their ideals, that there will be a tomorrow. NTD News. 
July 1st marks 26 years since Britain returned Hong Kong to China with a promise of a high degree of autonomy for the city. But freedoms in Hong Kong are being eroded. NTD's UK News spoke to Benedict Rogers, chief executive of Hong Kong Watch, earlier for Insight. So Benedict Rogers, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell me what it's like in Hong Kong now? Well, essentially today, Hong Kong has... uh, moved very rapidly in the last few years from being one of uh, the most open, freest cities in Asia to becoming one of its most repressive police states. And all of those freedoms that were promised, uh, as you've mentioned, in the Sino-British Joint Declaration uh, and were meant to be protected for at least 50 years from the time of the handover, so until 2047, have all been dismantled. So what can the international community do to help? Well, I think, first of all, the international community should uh, continue to keep a spotlight on Hong Kong and should not forget Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong received, rightly, a a lot of attention uh, during the protests in 2019 and then around 2020, but that attention has uh, uh, reduced, um, perhaps inevitably, because the media moves on and there are other crises in in the world. Um, But it's important that uh, we we don't... uh, lose folk. The US has introduced some sanctions, but I call on the, the British government and other governments uh, to use sanctions. And then lastly, doing more to provide a lifeboat uh, scheme for those who need to get out. Well, Benedict Rogers, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Taiwan's military is kicking up the week with a bang, with troops carrying out live fire drills on the island's southern coast Monday. In a simulation focused on repelling a foreign invasion, camouflaged Taiwan Army Humvees roared around the area, firing off U.S.-made anti-tank missiles to destroy static targets near the shoreline. The defense exercise needs to be similar to actual combat, allowing our army to be confident and have the capability to protect our homeland. The coastal town of Fangshan sits at the southern tip of the island and holds strategic importance. It looks out onto the Taiwan Strait, South China Sea, Pacific Ocean and Bashi Channel, proving useful for keeping watch on Chinese military activity as well as making it a potential landing site in an invasion. Washington's top military officer is talking deterrence, noting Friday that Chinese leader Xi Jinping hasn't yet decided when to invade Taiwan. He has stated publicly uh, that he has challenged the the, uh, People's Liberation Army to um, develop the military capability uh, to uh, unify uh, Taiwan with with China uh, by 2027. He didn't say, I've decided to attack and invade. Pointing out what he called that subtle distinction, Milley said this is where deterrence comes in. You want to make sure that every single day, President Xi wakes up and says today is not that day, uh, and that that decision never comes. As for how to keep that going. The faster we can retain military superiority, then I believe the theory of the case is that we are more likely than not to deter war from happening. And if war does happen, we'll prevail Uh, over any opponent.
The Chinese Communist Party claims Taiwan as its own territory, though it has never ruled the island. Taiwan staunchly rejects that claim, instead citing its democratically elected leaders and constitution, and vowing to defend its freedom and democracy. To assert its stance, Beijing has sent Chinese military jets to patrol near the island almost daily in recent years. The U.S. State Department on Thursday approved two new arms supply deals to Taiwan, totaling $440 million. Consumer boycotts and diplomatic warnings. Tokyo and Beijing are in the middle of a major dispute over the planned release of treated water from Japan's crippled nuclear power plant, Fukushima. But a new report says China has been dumping its own nuclear wastewater into the ocean and it's over six times more contaminated than Japan's Fukushima. Now a recent scandal in China's Shanghai has residents wondering, is their tap water really safe? Let's dive in. Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, plans to release over 1 million tons of treated wastewater into the sea starting as early as this summer. The discharge has been described as a solution to the nuclear disaster 12 years ago at the Fukushima Daiichi plant, caused by a massive earthquake and tsunami. At the time, water that was used to cool the damaged reactor started piling up in large quantities. Tokyo's plan to release the now-treated water has come under fire from Beijing on the grounds that it could harm the global marine environment and public health. But TEPCO said the water only contains diluted levels of tritium, a low-risk radioactive nuclear substance. Its concentration now reaches 1 40th of the level allowed for Japan's drinking water. Beyond that, a new government document shows that China's tritium emissions were much higher. Of the four nuclear power plants along China's eastern coast, three released over four times more tritium than Fukushima in 2020, while the plant with the highest emissions totaled 6.5 times higher. It's not just industrial wastewater that's problematic in China. Some residents in Shanghai saw cloudy, reddish-brown water running from their home taps. Rust stains were left on the ground after the pipes were flushed. According to an inspection by a water company, domestic water in that residential area was supplied through firefighting pipes. That means the area's over 130 households may have been drinking that water for up to eight years. Unlike in most U.S. cities, fire pipes in China are separate from those serving homes. Water running through them doesn't meet the standards for domestic use. Other big stories to look out for. How could one Chinese car company gain a foothold in the U.S. auto market thanks to the White House? Another Washington cabinet member expected to visit China. We look at why this trip might be different. And how urgent are China's food shortage fears? A new food security law is in the works. Will it save the country from crisis? Those are reports and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. But today, here's what's coming up. Growing fears of a Taiwan invasion and reports of large numbers of Chinese nationals, mostly military-aged men, coming through the U.S. southern border. Is China preparing for war? And what's America doing about it? American Thought Leaders host Yania Kellick sat down with China expert Gordon Chang to discuss why appeasing the CCP could make war more likely. More on that after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Is the U.S. military becoming a hollow force? War games suggest the Chinese army could take Taiwan after defeating American and Japanese forces. But is that really how it would play out? And are Chinese military personnel being inserted quietly onto American soil through the southern border? American thought leaders host Yan Yekelik sat down with China expert Gordon Cheng to discuss why appeasing Beijing may spell danger for the West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to American Thought Leaders Now, our spinoff of the original American Thought Leaders series. Today, our special guest is Gordon Cheng, author of Coming Collapse of China. Gordon, so good to see you. Oh, thank you so much, Yan. I really appreciate it. Well, let's talk about something that Secretary Blinken said in that case. And he basically said that uh, the U.S., if I recall correctly, does not support Taiwan independence. On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. One China policy. Uh, that policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. And so but Taiwan is already, I think everyone understands, or most people understand, is an independent state in itself. And while I guess technically what he said was true, um, it's not the whole story. Maybe you can kind of explain here. Well, U.S. policy on Taiwan is complicated. Um, as the Secretary of State said, it's grounded on the Taiwan Relations Act the three communiques and the six assurances. And technically, yes, U.S. policy is, doesn't support Taiwan independence. But as Blinken also said, uh, we support only a peaceful resolution of the status of Taiwan. Our one China policy is this. We recognize the Communist Party as a legitimate ruler of China. Um, we also acknowledge, in the sense of saying, we understand that's what they're saying, but we don't necessarily accept it, that Taiwan is part of the People's Republic. And we also say that Taiwan's status is unresolved and can only be resolved peacefully. In other words, with the approval of people on both sides of the strait. Now, if you look at all of that, yes, we don't, quote unquote, support Taiwan independence. The problem with Blinken's statement was that after a trip where the Chinese deliberately humiliated him from the very beginning to the very end, he should not have said anything that Beijing wanted to hear. So um, that, I think, is the fault. And we also know, Jan, that uh, Taiwan officials are privately dismayed by Blinken's visit. So it did not work out well for the island and it didn't work out well for the United States. You just touched on something which I've been thinking about a lot lately, is how uh, the Chinese Communist Party has kind of weaponized the coal climate change question for its own benefit. Yes, and, and they, they do it because they realize that they've got a willing co-conspirator in the Biden administration. I mean, you have John Kerry keep on saying that climate change is so important that we cannot, um, you know, let other things interfere. Um, and, and that really is, I think, an attitude which has convinced Beijing that they can do all sorts of things um, which are completely illegal, criminal, unacceptable, immoral, what have you. And they can get away with it as long as they are willing to talk to John Kerry. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say how misguided and how dangerous this policy is. 
you know, the Biden administration is maintaining policies that sound good to the ear, sound like they should work. But in fact, over three decades, they've created this disastrous situation. And I agree with Henry Kissinger when he said on June 7th to Bloomberg, uh, war between the United States and China is probable. Um, and it's probable because the Biden administration trying to avoid war is engaging in those types of policies that are encouraging Xi Jinping to think that he can get away with it. This is one of the most dangerous moments in history. And we should be prepared. We should be we should realize that we will be in a war unless something changes. Well, so as we finish up, what are the immediate things that you think could change to avert that? Because I mean, most people certainly don't want war or anything close to that. Nobody wants war. Um, but what we have to do is change our policies. And I think President Biden needs to say in public um, that the United States will defend our friends and allies. We will defend Taiwan. Um, and make it clear to China that the costs of invasion of Taiwan, Japan, the Philippines, India will be far too high. There's got to be deterrence messages, those messages the president doesn't want to give. And that's why I think we will be in a war. I'll go back to the original question that I asked as we were finishing up. You said there's immediate, you were suggesting immediate steps to avert the sort of reality of a war with China. What are the steps, again, uh, to prevent this sort of reality from happening in your mind? The president needs to make it very clear that we'll defend our friends and allies, including Taiwan. We have to um, start uh, turning out munitions on an emergency basis. The military may have to go to a higher state of readiness. President Biden needs to tell the American people that war is likely and that he starts to mobilize us for civilian defense. And by the way, we need to stop admitting Chinese nationals across our southern border because it appears that some of them are Chinese military and are prepared to commit acts of sabotage against the United States. We have to go to an emergency basis if we are going to save our society. I know that that's politically impossible which makes me even more pessimistic about the way things are going. I just wanted you to comment very briefly on these military-age men who are coming through the southern border. So what, what do you know about that at this point? The great war correspondent Michael Yan, who's at the Darien Gap, is seeing packs, packs of Chinese males of military age, unaccompanied by family members, and who pretend not to speak English. I have heard that someone who has classified access to classified information believes that there are already 10,000 Chinese saboteurs, PLA, People's Liberation Army, in the United States already. There's, we certainly do have intelligence around people crossing the border. I wasn't aware of numbers that large. Gordon Chang, thank you very much. Thank you, Jan. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.